Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. Before we begin, a quick spotlight on a new event series kicking off called Ikigai MVP. MVP stands for Minimum Viable Purpose, a play on the startup methodology of Minimum Viable Product. The goal is to make purpose more accessible. Every month, the 90-minute event will feature two experts, a professional and a personal expert, who will provide actionable concepts for work, home, and life. Participants will create a simple seven-day test and can opt into a small group for support and accountability. After seven days, if you like the concept, then build on it. If you don't like the concept, then scrap it. Either way, you'll learn something about yourself, meet new people, and gain personal insights in a well-designed, supportive environment. For more details, go to ikigaimvp.com. That's I-K-I-G-A-I-M-V-P.com. This episode's guest is John Johnson, an identity architect and co-founder of A Small Studio. When you hear the combination identity architect and a creative studio, you may think that it's just a catchy title that's been crafted for appeal, but that's not the case here. John has a master's degree in architecture, achieved simultaneously with an MBA, and upon graduation went to work for an architecture firm in Phoenix. Eventually, he realized that he was more passionate about the people inside of the buildings rather than the buildings themselves. He left architecture to co-found a startup that eventually failed. And rather than embrace failure, he used the experience as a building block, leading him to engage with organizations like Seedspot, an incubator for impact entrepreneurs, and One Million Cups, a platform founded by the Kauffman Foundation for early stage entrepreneurship. John shares his time, wisdom, and energy with these community organizations from his role as identity architect at a small studio. Now, all this makes for an incredible story about living with intention, but this is only the tip of the iceberg on John's story. John grew up in Cleveland, Ohio with a single mother, two sisters, and a brother. When John was 11 years old, he was sitting in the back seat of a car getting ready to go play putt-putt golf when police arrived at his house. His 17-year-old brother, Antonio, had shot and killed someone while caught up in gang violence. Antonio turned himself in, was tried as an adult, and sent into prison for 18 years to life. John reflects on that moment and refers to it as his, quote, first blessing in life. His sisters and mother took great lengths to make sure that John didn't become a statistic connected with fatherless uh, African-American young men. They enrolled him in an all-boys Catholic school and provided endless love and support. John excelled in school and sports, but consistently felt a void because he never had a father. He talks about filtering moments, conscious decisions that he's made in life to leave behind non-productive elements and ultimately push himself out of the comfort zone. When he moved from Cleveland to Phoenix, a major filtering moment, he began to gain an awareness into who he was, which propelled him to take action on what he wants out of life. A key moment came at a church camp where the preacher, talking about his own challenges in growing up without a father, asked the audience of 200 men to raise a hand if they'd never had a father or male role model in life. 80% of the room put their hands up. And at that moment, John realized that he wasn't alone. That insight gave him solid ground to build from. He took ownership of his life, found peace in his spirituality and faith, and proposed to his wife, Sarah. As John forged his new path in life, he found that his brother Antonio was on a similar journey, changing his perspective in prison from survive to thrive. John found that he and Antonio were on the same wavelength, simultaneously learning together and strengthening their bond with both each other and themselves. John now calls Antonio his best friend and biggest inspiration, and they talk on a daily basis. John is one of the most positive people that you'll ever meet. 
His story has many, many layers, and we got into a deep conversation. This interview is a little longer than usual, so it's divided into two parts. Please enjoy Ikigai Stories episode number seven with John Johnson, identity architect, co-founder of a small studio, and an inspiration for everyone seeking to live a life with intention. John, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, man. Uh, I'm excited to, to have you. Uh, so why don't we start off by talking about a small studio? Yeah. Can you, can you share? We'll, uh, dive, we'll dive right into it, man. Let's dive right in. Um, a small studio, that's my that's my company, started uh, when I moved here to Seattle, actually. Uh, got here on October 4th, started a small studio on October 12th, and um, really just realized a passion that I had for branding, specifically and helping people understand who they are and and how they can influence and and impact the marketplace right and i just i i believe that branding is the combination of someone's identity and what they're attempting to do in business and combining those two together um, creates a, just a, a beautiful um, visual um, but also a beautiful experience for um, those that they're attempting to serve right so mm-hmm. Troy Thomas, my my business partner and just an incredible graphic designer, was living here already, and uh, decided to to partner up with him um, to bring things to life and to to start a small studio. And so we're a branding and um, design firm, software design specifically, and mm-hmm. we specialize in design systems, right? Um, creating systems, utilizing design to impact people's brands, their businesses, their products, right? Software products, um, their built spaces, their marketing campaigns, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but our core competency is, is branding. Mm-hmm. Hence my, my title of, uh, identity architect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So when you say design systems, how can you define what that means? What's a, how do you define, define, uh, design systems? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a definition we're still working on. Yeah. Um, it, it's a combination of my background in architecture um, and you know Troy's background in fine arts. And what we've been able to do together is is bring you know fine arts and you know the science of architecture together mm-hmm. and um, utilize systems to create brands that work for the companies that they're created for. So, for instance, um, instead of just creating a pretty logo and a nice little color palette that mm-hmm. people typically reference brands as. Um, we create all of that and um, really figure out all of the key components that are needed to plug into the product that they're going to use, the website that they're going to market to their clients, um, uh, the canned beverage that their product you know, is, is on the shelves of, of retail locations. Um, mm-hmm. Um, really creating systems that are easily applicable to everything that they need to do so that we can literally, if we do our job right, we can hand it to them and they're going to be able to apply their brand to everything that they do mm-hmm. easily and beautifully, right? And mm-hmm. that's really what we pride ourselves on is is creating systems, not just beautiful pictures, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like we're, we're actually attempting to bring the science into design the design work that we do so that we're actually creating function, a functional product for our clients rather than just pretty pictures that people like to think of design studios as, as doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you guys come up with the name A Small Studio? Um, well, we, we wanted A Small Studio to be secondary to the clients that we serve, right? Um, we didn't want our name to be the primary focus of anything other than that we are, we are a small studio, which is exactly who we are, right? So a small studio just made sense where you could say designed by a small studio or brought to you by a small studio, but not brought to you by, you know, Exxon, right? Or mm-hmm. brought to you by, you know, um, you know, Agency X, you know, whatever it is, um, 
I guess for us, our personalities lean towards the more humble side of things, mm-hmm. where we're more service oriented and selfless mm-hmm. to the work that we're doing. We know that we're here to serve our clients rather than to be served by our clients. Yeah, right. It's yeah. not. It's never about us. It's always about them. Yeah. Um, and as as a designer, you know, it's it's such a such a humble profession, right? Like it's so humbling when you create, you put your heart and soul into something and then, you know, the person you did it for doesn't like it right. or wants to tweak it. Yeah. Right. And you have to yeah. take your ego out of it. Right. And we thought a small studio was just like that, that very humble name, mm-hmm. but also kind of tongue in cheek. Right. Yeah. Because as we hope to grow and we work with, you know, we've already worked with fortune 1000 companies, you know, mm-hmm. billion dollar companies. Um, as we continue to build our portfolio, it becomes more and more tongue in cheek, right? And you know, say we get to forty, you know, hundred employees, and then you know, they're asked like, "Where do you work?" And they're like, "I work for a small studio." <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And you know, it's just it, as the as the brand grows, the the name becomes more humble, but also more like fun, right? Yeah. And, and and unique. Yeah. Right. Um, and. And it's a it's a second it's a secondary element to our clients because yeah. our clients make us who we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we don't make us who we are. So you two have been working together for less than a year. For um, with a small eight. studio, yes. Okay. Uh, we actually, me and Troy actually did a startup together back. My first startup back in 2014 is when we met oh, okay. in Phoenix. Okay. And um, so we've we've known each other for good for almost five years now yeah and i've done a lot of work together and we've just love each other because mm-hmm. we have very similar upbringings and um very similar way of looking at things as i just mentioned about a small studio right yeah. um our egos are never in the mix and we just work flawlessly together where he's the visual mm-hmm. he brings everything to life mm-hmm. and i'm i'm the face pretty much i'm mm-hmm. the i'm the I'm the front-facing guy who interacts and loves and and loves on our clients and pulls out all the vision, the business, you know, all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what what attracted you initially to the creative space, um, and what what was the unique? Like you're kind of talking about it right now, but the the catalyst for identifying Troy as you know, a partner that you wanted to yeah. to work with in yeah. a creative studio. Yeah. Um, well, that, that, I think that dives back into my story a little bit. But, um, you know, being in architecture, uh, you know, I got my master's in architecture and my MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into architecture purely because I loved math. And that was one of the things. It was either architecture or engineering. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not doing engineering. Um, <laughs> There are too many engineers and too many types of engineering, and it just it was just boring. Um, so I went into architecture, a little more glamorous, a little more fun looking, right? And I fell in love with it th- throughout school, right? Um, and architecture is this one this, this unique profession where it's such a beautiful balance between art, right, mm-hmm. and creativity, mm-hmm. and science, right? You can't mm-hmm. be an architect without being a scientist, yeah. And that's why it's such a hard profession to to get your degree in, let alone get your license in, right? I didn't go as far as getting my license, mm-hmm. um, but it was just this beautiful, like, I don't know, this beautiful equation of, of you had to be creative, but you also have to understand science and physics, right? Um, so I think our, my, my, my time in architecture was just, just a wonderful creative journey, mm-hmm. right? Got to go study in Italy and mm. in in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the UAE and Amsterdam and you know, I got to study um, in other you know exotic places when I was you know crafting my my profession of architecture. Yeah. Right? Um, but I originally got into architecture because I had a passion for wanting to create the human experience, right, and build space and. And that's what really made me fall in love. As I started practicing it, I really started to understand that I loved bringing people together, right? And I loved causing collisions between people and all the designs that I did in school, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
and flash forward, you know, I get out into the real world. I I'd worked with a, a pretty um, significant architecture firm in, in Phoenix called Architecton. And you know, I worked with them for about two years and just realized that I didn't want to be an architect. I didn't, I didn't want to be in the, in the office. I didn't want to be behind a computer. Um, I also realized I wasn't good with details, right? I was a little more big picture, um, and I loved people, right? I was a little more warm and fuzzy than a lot of the black shirt architecture people that you see out there or architects. Um, Did it take go so that didn't surface while going through school? Or no, the schooling? no, I was You're, always I was the oddball for sure. Um, I was not like many of my colleagues in yeah. architecture school. Yeah. Um, I played rugby. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to have a social life, so all day they'd be in studio. I'd be hanging out with my friends, and then that would make me have to pull an all-nighter because because <laughs> I'm like I gotta be with the people, and I knew I would be missing out on things. Right, that that FOMO. Um, and that was the same way when I got to my first architecture firm. Um, you know, I was I was the the guy that wore red pants to to the studio, right? And everybody else is in their black shirts with with jeans and black shoes and their their glasses. And no knocks at ar- no knocks at architects. Um, I love you all, but uh, there is a there is a. St- there's a there's a um, persona of an architect, just like there's a persona of a designer, mm-hmm. right? And I definitely wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just I I would love people too much. I was I just, I was I was always I always wanted to be out of the studio, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be out in the studio. I wanted to be with the people, and I got so much inspiration from being with people, right? And that's where a lot of my creativity. Um, came from is collaborating with people, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as I quit architecture, um, I went fell right into my first startup, which was a mobile application that when you walked into a space, you were automatically checked in, and you saw a list of all the other people that were in that space specifically, mm-hmm. right? And the idea was to make more face-to-face connections rather than people being, you know, just absorbed in their technology, which mm-hmm. you typically find in spaces even today. Right. Um, and this was back in 2014. So um, that was that was me being able to take my passion for, you know, creating the built experience of, of architecture and do it for every space, you know, in the whole world potentially with software. Right. 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 And as me and my co-founder, um, Megdad, uh, started that um Megdad found troy uh mm. on youtube by oh, all yeah? means. Wow. i won't tell you which youtube channel he'll be really <laughs> mad at me uh cat videos <laughs> no well he does have two cats um he found him on youtube and 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 he was a college student at the time and mm. he realized that he was just a great graphic designer so he brought troy in um to create our our logo to create our brand Mm -hmm. and and we we fell in love with them and we went from creating our brand to creating our whole mobile app ui ux um for our our whole mobile app and just created a beautiful product i mean choi was was a lot of our visual presence almost our whole visual presence um for that startup yeah and long story short to keep that brief is you know, when we came out of that startup, it ultimately failed. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that I heard consistently from people was, one, the most successful thing of that startup was a brand. We created a brand, mm-hmm. we created a, a movement of people that loved our brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, to the point where there, our brand is still on spaces in Phoenix. Oh yeah, right. Different coffee shops that we actually engage as a as yeah. a feel free space. Yeah. Um, and also, what I learned is that who I was was rep- was represented in that startup. Right. Like mm-hmm. everything that we embodied of connected, collaborative communities. You know, I embodied that. So my my identity was 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 authentic to that brand right mm-hmm. so even when it was gone people still thought of of me as a person right 
and I, I realized that, and that was a that was a big epiphany moment for me when when um, my buddy Quentin Baker told me he's like you know the one thing you did you guys did beautifully was you created a brand mm-hmm. and you're good at that John mm-hmm. and I was like hmm I'm I'm good at I'm good at that yeah. oh yeah because I never thought about it before you know it's that one moment that somebody says <laughs> yeah. like you're good at that and I'm yeah. like huh maybe I am what what was what was the name of the startup it was called feel free and what was your role in feel free uh, I guess my role was I was the All CEO, yeah. right? I yeah. was the I was the 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 leader of that organization, yeah. both from the business side and then also the um, like uh, overall marketing side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megdad, my co-founder, led the product um, side of things, okay. um, managing the product, making sure we built out the product. Yeah. He loved he loved building that product. Um, he also was a big part of us being able to even build the product. He funded most of that startup. Mm. Um, so it was me and Megdad, and then Choi uh, came in as like our our right hand guy, yeah. um, doing all, everything visually. Yeah. So you went from the architecture firm. So you went from a master's in architecture to an architecture firm for two years. Threw in the towel, said architecture is not for me, mm-hmm. and then went to feel good, feel free, feel free. Sorry, feel yeah. free. Uh, is that the right, yep. the right track? Yep. Okay. And feel free was around for how long? Um, you say about two, two years. Couple years. Yeah. Just a little over two years. Yeah. From idea um, to actually launching the mobile application, getting that built and developed to yeah. um, you know attempting to actually raise a round of, of funding, hmm. um, applying it to different events, um, applying it to different businesses, starting to actually generate revenue, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting the users, and then ultimately me and my co-founder ended up breaking up um, for a lot of different, you know, first-time entrepreneur yeah. reasons. Yeah. Um, and once we, like, hit that wall of, of friction... Like we crumbled from there, mm-hmm. like really quickly. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was it was an incredible learning experience, right? Um, and humbling experience. Yeah. Um, and still to this day, I, I, I think we can we could still build this product and like still make an impact that we always saw it making. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of you know, is it is it the right time or you know, yeah. is that is that God's plan? Yeah. So what did you learn? I mean, what what are some of the key takeaways that you had from that experience? I mean, that's you know, that's a that's a big leap going from getting your masters in architecture mm-hmm. to working in an architecture firm to then going into a startup and at the end of 2 years having friction with your co-founder and then ultimately throwing in the towel. That's a that's a that's a lifetime right there. Those yeah. three, four steps. So, to, like, what when you reflect back, what what are some of the key points, key inflection points on that journey? Yeah. Well, when you say it that way, like, you make me super depressed about it. No, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. I just I flashed through all the all the conversations I had throughout that time. They're like, you're 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 quitting for what? Where are you going? Because typically, like when somebody quits an architecture firm, they're going to another architecture <laughs> right. firm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Someone's they're moving up, right? Yeah. They probably got a, a raise, you know, yeah. all of those things. I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm not feeling this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go start my own business. Yeah. They're, and they're like, okay, good luck. <laughs> um, which, you know, I look back at it, and first, that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was was just quitting something I knew. I wasn't going to do for the rest of my life, right? Because it was that moment that I left Architecton that I was like propelled out onto this incredible journey of of learning, mm. right? Like you, know, you can only learn so much just being in one profession. Now, architecture is one of those incredible professions where you learn a lot, mm. um, but you can only learn so much. And as soon as I left, I you know. I, this idea of starting doing a startup, I got an MBA. Mm. Uh, doing a startup is 
is not an MBA. Like it literally, it doesn't correlate almost at all, right? <laughs> As you, I'm sure you know, like you don't you don't learn in the MBA. You learn about managing an already existing business, right? You case studies right. on businesses that have been around for decades, right? Not startups, not entrepreneurship, right? Specifically, starting mm -hmm. something from nothing. So. The funny story, one of my first biggest learning moments was, you know, me and Megdad came up with this idea at lunch one day randomly. And, you know, it was one of those things you leave lunch and you're like, this is a good idea. We should do this. And we're like, yeah, it's awesome. And and my but good buddy and friend, uh, Zach Ferris, who runs a, a, a successful um, uh, uh, startup studio in Phoenix now uh, called Coplex, he we went to him because he he was running a development firm like he he was a he was somebody that could bring this app to life mm -hmm. so we go to him and we're like hey we got this idea and we're like you know you got to sign an nda though and he's like he laughs at us like laughs right in our face <laughs> he's like i'm not signing an nda and your idea is probably crap anyway <laughs> so just tell me and i'll help you and we're like Oh, okay. That was like our first time ever asking somebody to sign an NDA. Yeah. You know, it's like that first time entrepreneur, like just, you you always know a first time entrepreneur when they ask you to sign an NDA for an idea. You're like, uh. so literally till this day, I still, you know, because I, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs now. Till this day, I always use that example. And like Zach Ferris was, was the reason why I laugh at people when they ask me to sign an NDA. Right. You channel Zach when you get asked that ask. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm a little more empathetic than Zach was. <laughs> Zach was Zach was like, um, "You're you have no idea what you're doing." <laughs> so he literally went from laughing at us to saying, "All right, you have no idea what you're doing. Go and read this book." And he mm -hmm. told us to read um, Lean Startup, mm -hmm. right? And so me and Meg that read the book in like three days and we're learning all this startup lingo and, you know, MVP and how to do tests and validate and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and we read it and we go back. All right, Zach, we read the book and he's like, all right, I'll talk to you now. And he walks us through what what the journey is going to be to building out a mobile application and starting a, a startup, you know, mm -hmm. a tech a software startup. And um, it was an incredible learning experience because just in that that short period of time, he, he he gave us the tools that we needed to just at least understand what we were about to do or yeah. try to do. Yeah. Right. So that was really that was one of the the very significant moments is that just beginning of like realizing that you don't know anything. And it's OK. Yeah. And just keep on moving. And if you once you do know what you're about to get into and you still want to do it. All right, great. Now let's let's talk. Let let me help you. Right. Because there's a lot of people that have no idea what they're in store for, and once they realize they they once they realize what that journey is gonna be, they're like, ah, I'm good. I'm yeah. good on that. And that's okay, yeah. right? Yeah. It saves a lot of people a lot of time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that was that was a big one, and and then throughout that process, um, we ended up applying for our first incubator. Uh, which was uh, SeedSpot in Phoenix, which is a social enterprise incubator for impact-driven entrepreneurs. And through that incubator, the 14-week program, um, it was it's, we just learned how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. right? I think it was in that incubator we really learned, you know, what what we were, what we really wanted to do in the world. What, what was the impact that we wanted to create? We weren't we weren't selling the features of the app. We weren't selling, you know, the the the, I guess the monetary value people were gonna get from using it. We were, we were selling like a, a movement. We were selling a feeling, mm -hmm. of of feeling, free to talk to people around you, mm -hmm. feeling free to engage somebody that's sitting across the table from you, because they could be your next business partner or your next, you know, best friend or you know whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. people were around you for a reason. So we went through this 14-week program of gaining mentors and, you know, community members and, you know, pitching every week and, you know, really developing our whole business model and our story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, Seedspot ends with this demo day and we gave a three-minute pitch and, 
you know, our, our pitch was so emotional. Um, Meg that started the pitch with, you know, I want you to close your eyes. Right? <laughs> close your eyes and imagine you're in your favorite coffee shop. Right? Mm. What do you see? And it, it, was, it, was, it was a really cool experience just to go through that whole process. Um, and Seedspot's incredible for that specifically. It's they, they really drive home you know, you feeling the impact that you right. want to create in the world and really honing in on that and not all the other things that typical VCs and accelerators and incubators want you to, to focus on your business model and your, your product and your features. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in because of that journey that I'm never going to do anything that I don't f like feel intimately and deeply the impact that it's going to have on the world mm -hmm. right yeah it's just it's just who i am and my wife will tell you that that's who i am and she's surrendered to the fact because <laughs> she knows and i i think i may be unemployable for that reason right i'm one of those people um that's unemployable uh but it that 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 was i think the next big moment of of really like honing in on the, the impact that we wanted to create in the world yeah so, so let's talk about Seedspot. And so you went through that experience as an entrepreneur seven years ago, six years ago-ish, something like that? About five years. Five years yeah. ago. And fast forward to today. So can you talk about what you're doing with Seedspot today? Yes. Yeah, so five years later, uh, went through the incubator as an alumni, uh, came out of it as a mentor, then decided to, after my failures, decided to actually work with Seedspot. So I was an employee of Seedspot for mm -hmm. about a year, mm -hmm. um, right before I moved here, actually. So when Sarah, my wife, got a job with Amazon, you know, we moved here. Mm -hmm. I quit my job there um, and came to Seattle and started a small studio. Mm -hmm. um, about 19 months now into it, and I just felt this, I don't know, I felt this, this drive in my heart that, I needed to launch a program um, for early stage impact driven entrepreneurs mm -hmm. to really hone in on what they're passionate about and literally do what I just mentioned, like, like feel what I just mentioned I got from Seedspot and me going through their program. Um, so I, I just like, I got to do it. And so I decided to take seed spots um, at their their new their new business model or their new um, expansion plan of they came up with a two-day launch camp curriculum where it's a dropship program that they can deploy in any city across the world um, all it takes is one person that wants to do it in mm -hmm. their city in their community mm -hmm. right so um, seed spots a nonprofit uh, 501c3 it's been around for I think maybe eight years now, maybe more than that. Uh, Courtney, don't hate me for not knowing that. Um, Courtney Klein founded it back in Phoenix, and Courtney Klein is just this incredible woman um, who literally cares immensely for, for people and helping them reach their true potential, mm. helping them get to the clouds and reach their dreams, right? And she's already started a successful nonprofit and, and left that nonprofit to continue to thrive and she started seed spot and they they were they were doing incredibly well they were making so much impact um but it was only it was only it only scaled so far right um so they they had a successful model where they went into high schools and actually taught um impact driven entrepreneurship mm. and that scaled really well yeah. so they applied that same model to adults and that's now the two-day launch camp okay. so um, so I decided to start it here, and I'm going to be launching, um, um, hosting, and facilitating, and fundraising, and recruiting for a two-day launch camp here in Seattle on July 19th and 20th. Nice. Um, and the reason why I, I decided to do that was, you know, I've been doing uh, woman cups mm -hmm. for 
about a year now. Right. Um, actually celebrated the one year anniversary with you. Right. Uh, and you were so, I'm so glad that you were our entrepreneur to present because everybody was like, that was, you, you picked the right one. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, very gracious. Yeah. And, and Woman Cups is a nonprofit community organization that I decided to start here back in May of last year. Mm-hmm. Because I, when I moved here, I saw an incredible just gap of, of early stage grassroots entrepreneurship yeah. in this ecosystem in Seattle. Yeah. Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the pause right there. So yeah. before you go to a million cups, I want to I wanna hit on Seedspot a little bit more. Okay. So um, how does, how does Seedspot or how do you define impact? Like what? It, how was um, feel free impact, or how how do they define impact? Yeah. Or even for the event that you're hosting here in Seattle. Yeah. Well, I'm no longer on Seedspot's payroll, so uh, I'm allowed to butch this a little. But impact is that's actually something that they went through as they've grown and as, mm-hmm. as a nonprofit is is really defining impact, mm-hmm. right? So they have number of different um impact um i guess channels right you have you have sustainability um environmental sustainability you have human equity right um uh you have uh economic um impact right you have um uh you know health and wellness Mm -hmm. impact right so they've actually aligned a lot of their impact values with um the uh, uh united nations uh, okay. impact values yeah. right yeah. so there's there's a number of those and yeah. they really tied them in um, now that they're thinking more on a global level rather than just on a regional Phoenix level mm-hmm. um, they've done an incredible job of, of really honing in on what impact is so mm-hmm. um, so for me personally um, and feel free impact was specifically around societal so social norms right and and a little more focus on on human the human engagement right and when we when I went through their program it was a little more lax lax about what impact is yeah um, but now as they've grown their impact numbers are, are very important yeah. um, they actually focus a little more on diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. um, so Forty-nine percent of their founders in their programs have been female founders, mm. which is astronomical yeah. compared to just the norm of startup ventures, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think it's less than three percent of yeah. venture-funded um, startups are female founders, right? Seventy-three um, percent of their businesses are still in business that have come through their program, mm. which is a huge number, yeah. also. And also, we Seedspot doesn't take any equity in these businesses, right? So you talk about that servant mindset and that mm-hmm. selflessness. Like, it's not about them. They're just a conduit to help impact-driven entrepreneurs that want to create a positive impact in people's lives in this world, right? Yeah. To actually be able to do that and yeah. create a safe space for them to do that, yeah. right? That's, that's another reason why I decided to start it here in Seattle is because... As, we, as you know, early stage entrepreneurs are, are vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and also naive and, mm-hmm. and, and emotional, right? Mm-hmm. It's like very fragile, right? Very right. fragile time in people's lives. Right. And I realized and at Seedspot actually when I went through it, how important it was to create a safe space for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? Early stage entrepreneurs, yeah. needed a, they need a safe space so that they can explore and try things and not be penalized for doing something wrong, right? right? And when you surround them with people that care about them um, and purely that's all they, they come to these events for is to care for these entrepreneurs, they learn so much in a safe environment, mm-hmm. right? Rather than you know engaging with a lawyer who couldn't couldn't care less about them, and then end up going bankrupt because they have all these legal fees that they thought were important for them to 
move on mm-hmm. before they even had a business, right? Right. right so right. like that's 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 a very important factor for me, and that was that was one of the biggest reasons why I decided to start it here. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of parallels between seed spots, the the culture that seed spots created, and million the the you know the mission or the ethos of million cups or at least the million cups that's here in seattle so can you can you talk about what you do here for million cups in seattle and then draw the parallel between seed spot and million cups yeah if there is one oh there's there's many um one million cups is a community organization that started out of kansas city missouri um with the Coffin Foundation, and actually a employee of the Coffin Foundation just started it randomly um, at at a at an event. Um, they did it Wednesdays. Every Wednesday, they would have an entrepreneur come and share their story, and people would come and listen to them and give them feedback and you know all of that. Um, and since then, they have expanded to 185 different cities across the nation. Wow. And their tagline is is caffeinating an entrepreneurial nation. Right, and One Million Cups uh, really stands for their, their mission and their vision of, of having one million people share a cup of coffee you know, on Wednesday morning you know, in, you know, around entrepreneurship specifically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Coffin Foundation is one of, if not the largest uh, foundation in the world for entrepreneurship specifically. Uh, they focus a lot of their funding on supporting um, disenfranchised entrepreneurs, um, um, uh, you know, diverse entrepreneurs, uh, women entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of color, um, and really using entrepreneurship as a way of economic prosperity, you know, rather mm-hmm. than as like this elitist, you know, one percent type mm-hmm. of privileged um, um, uh, definition, yeah. right? Yeah. So they go into cities across the country. They work with a lot of nonprofits, and Seedspot is actually one of their nonprofits that they fund. Oh, okay. um, a lot of Seedspot's okay. funding comes from the Coffin Foundation. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's that's actually how I found One Main Cups was when I had first started with Seedspot during Feel Free. Okay. Um, we actually Feel Free pitched. I pitched Feel Free at One Main Cups in Phoenix. Um, I was an organizer for One Million Cups in Phoenix. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, and then that's, that's how I even knew to bring One Million Cups to Seattle was because I already had been involved in it. And I actually really loved and cared for their brand and what they represented in entrepreneurship. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, once again, that selflessness of it's not about us. It's about the entrepreneur that's here right mm-hmm. now. It's not my community. It's not my event. It's Seattle's event, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the entrepreneur's event. Um, it's the community's event. Mm-hmm. So um, so the correlation there with with Seed Spot is is this idea of creating a safe space for early stage entrepreneurs at One Million Cups. You know, you're an early stage entrepreneur. You half of the businesses that have presented at One Million Cups since we started in May, which is about 40, 40 different businesses, have presented their business for the first time at one million cups mm. right was that the first time you presented uh first first time i presented that concept yeah 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 so you keep creating a space for these entrepreneurs mm. to be able to share their story yeah um on a stage yeah. and not be bombarded with a lot of people that are there mainly to you know either invest in them or get equity in them or get their business or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things that typically happen at a startup like pitch competition or, mm-hmm. you know, those, those standard startup um, events right. I've been a part of because I've been in that world before. Yeah. Um, instead, everybody in the audience is there to help move you forward as yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah. Ask the questions that may have not been answered in your presentation just to help you think about them give you feedback on your presentation, mm-hmm. give you insights and perspective based on their expertise on how you could potentially refine a part of your business or move it forward, mm-hmm. right? Everybody there is to support them. And I really make sure that that's instilled in our, our community, right? Yeah. And that's, that's been the one thing that keeps people coming back yeah. is that you could feel it, yeah. right? You could yeah. feel it in a culture. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I could, 
it was palpable yeah two weeks ago um so can you talk about how you how um the supportive environment that you've created in one million cups the mission of seed spot how how do you um take that uh those learnings or that um knowledge and apply it to a small studio so when you're working with your clients does that translate into to your work uh at a small studio yeah yeah um i'm glad you asked that because it's it's something i'm working through right now Mm -hmm. of understanding how are all of these things that i'm doing um colliding with with Mm -hmm. each other and um one thing i realized is it's all grassroots right it's all starting from the ground right there's no trickle down we're not going to the top and working our way down it's like we're starting right at the beginning Mm -hmm. all the time so all the work we do at a small studio we start at the core of the person or the company there's no way we're coming in as a contractor in the middle of the project and say hey do this one small piece of the project we don't work that way we can't work that way because we're so intimate with our people right Mm -hmm. and the work that we create has been so good and so successful because of how intimate we are with our clients Mm -hmm. and that i need to be with our clients right Mm -hmm. so that grassroots um uh i guess word or phrase is how we go in with our clients come in we do a discover workshop we really go deep and raw and intimate very quickly and that's how i have to be with all of the entrepreneurs that i engage with on a weekly basis mm-hmm. at woman cubs it, it, this is their this is all that they are they're coming usually when you're an early stage entrepreneur you're you're coming completely naked to the table because like you, you maybe your whole life savings is in this thing maybe mm-hmm. you've been working on this for the last five years and you're probably you're you're finally coming out of the closet and you're like hey guys i'm here i'm still alive right you know and they're in that emotional aspect right is early stage entrepreneurship is very emotional right um me and my my friends over at seed spot used to talk where you know we're 80 percent we're helping them like mentor them with business and all of that and mm-hmm. we're 20 percent you know therapists yeah right yeah because we got to help them through their stuff right right Right. and every client comes to the table with stuff also Mm -hmm. right and i i I tell you from experience that enterprise two billion dollar company is the same as a early stage startup in my mind because they're human Mm -hmm. right they're people and the way that i come as an identity architect to the table is you know, I, I don't care if you're the president of a $2 billion company, you're still a human. Mm-hmm. And I, my job is to understand who you are, right? And what you care about and what your vision is and, and the impact you want to create on the world with your product or your service or whatever it is, right? right? right. That's my job is to pull out all of that. Right. So I'm not interacting with companies, you know, in that, that inhuman way in the marketplace i'm interacting with people individually yeah and everything i've done with seed spots everything i've done with women cups thus far here in seattle and my whole network that i built here in seattle has been me just coming to the table with people and another human across of it Mm -hmm. across from there and, and really coming there purely just to get to know them and understand what drives them and what moves them forward Mm -hmm. right because that's what i feel like i'm here to do like i feel like that's my only purpose right you know is to love people and help them reach their full potential or help them be happy right right and be at peace right and i feel like by engaging them at the core level the foundational level even the the early stage of their career is when we can really I can help them the most because then they're not floundering in the marketplace trying to fit in in the marketplace instead they're staying true to who they are because I found that their identity as a person typically is that differentiator of 
a brand that is different or a brand that just, you know, is in all the clutter right. in the world. Right, right. Um, so let's let's rewind back to to why why so I want to take a short step and then we'll take the big step. So the short step is why architecture? Like why architecture? Like going through your MBA, were you undergrad architecture also? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you were pretty committed to architecture. Uh, you spent some some money in the architecture, uh, you know, academic world. Yeah, so, just a little. So yeah, a couple bucks. What was driving you that direction, um, and why? Yeah. Um, so, I wish I had a much better story for this. So I'd probably would jump back further pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I mentioned before, like. I just was really good at math, and I loved math. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really good at geometry, mm-hmm. loved geometry. That was my favorite course in mm-hmm. math. Um, and I took a drafting course in, in school when I was in high school, um, really like a, a engineering drafting course where we would create like gears and, mm-hmm. and pieces, right? I really liked it on CAD. Mm-hmm. So utilizing you know the, the, the drafting software CAD, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I don't know, I had that moment. I'm like, I like this. So I went to my guidance counselor as I'm thinking, you know, you know as you always do when you're thinking about college. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, what can I do that's, that, has, that integrates math? And, you know, I like the drafting. And like I said before, like it was either engineering or architecture. Right. And I went to an engineering um, camp in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, that I got accepted to, um, and it was like a you know week week long camp, and and I just hated it, not like engineering at all. It was boring. It was it was just so detailed focused. Mm-hmm. It was just like it was like it was like supply chain management when I was getting my MBA. I'm like, oh, stop it. Um, like where's the where's the emotion? Like where's the people? You know, it's all numbers. It's all like robots and solutions and calculations. And I didn't like it. So, um, so I made, and this is how I kind of do things. And you might know, you might find out my whole story, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to do architecture. I knew nothing about architecture, literally nothing. Um, I didn't even know what it meant. I just was like, I'm going to do it. Um, I just felt like I needed to do it. Yeah. And I applied to the three architecture schools in Ohio that were accredited. Mm-hmm. And it was Kent, uh, Kent State where I went, um, Ohio State and Cincinnati. And Kent was about 45 minutes from Cleveland, you mm-hmm. know, where I'm from. And, mm-hmm. and I got accepted there. I, was on the, I got on the waiting list um, for Cincinnati, I think. And I got accepted to Ohio State. And you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Kent. Mm-hmm. It's a nice distance away from home. I'm not home, but I'm, you know, away. I didn't even visit Kent. I didn't even visit the campus before. I, oh, yeah. I just was like, yeah, sure, it that's did. good. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then I got into the program, um, which was a blessing in itself because it was an easy program to get into. Um, I think out of out of thousand applicants typically um you know, only only 100 get accepted i was one of 99 in my program uh to start and and then half of them drop off and then mm-hmm. another 50 fill in from the summer program mm-hmm. and um i got in the program and that first year i just fell in love with architecture like, i knew mm-hmm. nothing about it everybody else usually in my program like Either their their dad was an architect, or their mm-hmm. mom was an architect, or they had an architect in the family, or they've been studying it for years, and yeah. and I was the guy that was like, yeah, I'm gonna try this out, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> and and Take you know, it for a spin, exactly. And yeah. five years, five and a half years later, I had my master's in it, and mm-hmm. and I was on my way across the country to 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 work at an architecture firm. So during that run, was it a was it a was there a growing discomfort like maybe this isn't right for me or was did that moment not happen until you stepped into the real world making a paycheck in an architecture firm yeah no it definitely 
I def I I think it was definitely consistent throughout yeah. my whole the education. The deeper you got, the more you realized. Um, or the further it got from what you wanted to, to be doing? Well, if I, go to, if I go a little deeper, right, I was, I was one of six like, black people in my program. Mm -hmm. And architecture is not made up of a lot of um, African-American people, mm -hmm. just in general. Um, so I was one of six, and... I just felt like I was an oddball the whole time I was in the program mm -hmm. for many reasons. Partly, I mentioned earlier, right, I had a social life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I started school attempting to run D1 track, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to walk onto the track team. Realized that that was next to impossible um, doing architecture where, mm -hmm. you know, requires a lot of time, a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, so when two a days hit, I was like, uh, I'm OK, I'm going to I'm going to focus on architecture. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, also, I, I just I played rugby. Um, I I I was learning a lot. I didn't know really I didn't fit the architecture mold. Mm -hmm. Right. So. I was always, I always felt like an oddball, right? And as I got older and older, that didn't make me feel as much discomfort as I did when I was younger, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because um, I've, I've been an oddball my whole life um, in so many different ways, right? Um, so as I went through the program and I saw more and more of my peers, and when I say peers, I mean other, other um, black students, dropping out of architecture to the point where I was the only one left mm -hmm. when we graduated. I was the only black student in my graduating class for architecture in my bachelor in my masters in my bachelor's and my masters. Mm -hmm. Um and I just kept on like like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not mm -hmm. cut out for this. You know, all of those doubts kept yeah. on going through my head to the yeah. point where, you know, Midway through my master's program, I called my sister. I'm like, like, Chia, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. I just, you know, bad critique from a professor. You know, crying my eyes out, like mm -hmm. mad, punching walls. You know, mm -hmm. all of these things because I just, it wasn't easy, and, and I just felt so alone you know i was one of those outliers mm -hmm. right when everybody else just saw a bunch of other people that that were similar to themselves and like oh yeah we'll do this together yeah. you know i always felt like i had to do it on my own yeah right so um so it was definitely a growing a growing thing consistently and and then when i got when i was when i went to grad school i got my mba so i got a dual masters it was a dual masters program so I would go from architecture studio to an MBA course, like accounting or marketing or, um, you know, information technology, you know, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, it started to change my mind as to what architecture was to me. You know, when, when you're in architecture school, it's all architecture. Yeah. Literally every class is architecture and you're in that class with the same people, mm -hmm. right? Like. There's no, you're not mixing and mingling. There are a few elective courses, right? But yeah. it's a very set curriculum, yeah. um, very intense. And when I was doing my MBA, it was my first time that I got to get out and see other aspects of education and mm -hmm. academic academia, right? Mm -hmm. And it started to shift my mindset on architecture of not being this like almighty thing that I was doing to be actually being this, it's kind of not that great. <laughs> Right, I started to understand the business model behind yeah. it. And yeah. my wife now at the time, Sarah, um, she we were dating and she had moved to Phoenix for, instead of her going through a master's for architecture, she decided to go get her master's in real estate and development. Mm. And she is obviously way smarter than me for many reasons. But, you know, architecture is not the best business, especially in the United States. Very competitive Mm -hmm. Their profit margins are very slim, and the only way to make a really great living in architecture is to own your own firm, which then obviously you're, you have to build relationships, you have to build time over time, mm -hmm. you have to get your license, which usually takes about seven years oh, wow. on average, wow. right, for people to get their license. You got tests and yeah. time that you had to put in. So 
when I got my MBA, I was, I started to understand business and it changed my whole mindset on yeah. architecture. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, I'm gonna do this because that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm getting my architecture degree. It was like, is this really the business that I wanna be in? Right. Is this how I'm gonna make my living? Right. So when I got my MBA, I actually was like, you know what? I actually like business. So I'm going to go into, I may go into architecture. I may want to go into business consulting or, you know, business management consulting, mm -hmm. right? With Accenture or KPMG or Deloitte. Mm -hmm. You know, I started to understand this, this other world, yeah. right? Um, and I said to myself, which is another way of me doing things, I'm like, oh, okay, wherever I'll get a job first, that's what I'll do. So yeah. I applied to all these jobs. I moved to Phoenix and, and I got the job at Architecton mm. first and about a month and a half into living there. And that's where I went, yeah. right? But yeah. ultimately, I've, God had a other path for me. And, yeah. and obviously, I'm more in business now than I am in architecture, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Okay, so the big shift. 